0: Welcome to Ladies First, Wise Women Talking. My name is Feli and my co-host Miriam is sitting right next to me. And we are excited to present you today our last episode for this year, our first year of doing this podcast. And we are really happy that you're still with us and that you grew as an audience and that you appreciate uh, the stories of all the women we've met so far. And today we're going to present to you a woman that we met in the West Village. So we went back to Manhattan after traveling to Long Island City in the last episode. And she's living in a very cozy apartment. It was already like in the beginning of December, so it felt like Christmassy all around. And uh, yeah, we had a great time with Nancy.
1: I'm a dot of 5'30". Yeah. <laughs> Germans! You You're Germans. so tall! <laughs> yeah, Germans! You're uh, German. Hi, Nancy. So nice so you, hi. You too, hi. So, so, so yeah. Uh, so, I'm Nancy. Will we, we'll, um Yeah,
2: her apartment was yeah. really cozy. She had also lots of treasures, like little tiny things. Um, Uh, that you can bring from from your travels. So you can see in her apartment that she's a well-traveled lady. And we'll get back to that um, later as well. Um, And also she is uh, 73 by now, but looks much, much younger. She's a very active lady. And uh, as it appears, she also feels much younger.
1: I would say I feel... Many days I actually do feel like a teenager. I feel like I'm silly and do silly things, and when am I going to grow up, and when am I going to learn how to handle those situations? Most of the time I'd say I feel like I'm in my late 30s. When someone asks me my age and I feel like I can't be dishonest, and I I remember being a kid and saying, why are people hiding their age? That's silly. But now I understand that because... You're so shocked that you are your age. It's like, no, I am not my concept of someone who's 73 years old at all.
2: Yeah, and as we already said, she lives in, um, in the West Village in Manhattan. And the West Village is kind of like the right place for her because it combines two things that she likes. It's the big city, is New York City, but it's also the West Village.
1: I've lived in this neighborhood um, 30 years, and um, it's like live, living in a little village. It is a little village. It's You know, I have my local stores and my local restaurants and my neighbors, and it's like, you know, I do leave the neighborhood, but it is, when I was working, actually, my office was, you know, less than a 10-minute walk from here, so my world was sort of here and it's still sort of here so I'm both in New York City which is vast and offers me more in a day than anyone could possibly do if I want to and yet I live in a a little village where I can knock on my neighbor's door and um, we sort of we know each other and take care of each other and yeah so it's 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 the best of both worlds right here. But New York wasn't always her
0: home base, her hometown, because she grew up in Boston, which you also can tell a little by her accent. And um, I think it still feels somehow, in some words, you can feel it, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, But yeah, she grew up in Boston in a
1: suburban area. I mean, it was a neighborhood actually where I was a total minority. We were one of 10 Jewish families when we moved in and It was a very white Christian neighborhood, uh, mostly Catholic actually, and um, not that I really ever felt much prejudice against me particularly, but there was a black family that came. I can picture myself as a little kid sitting on the stoop, and people down the street were moving, and a black family, a a young man and woman and their child, who was about my age, I think it was a girl, came to look at that house. And so she and I started playing and then they left. And then I said to my mother, oh, I hope they buy the house. And my mother said, those people are never moving in here. And it's like, my awareness started somehow. I mean, I was little, but it made no sense to me whatsoever. I'm trying to remember how old I would have been. Well, we moved in just before my sixth birthday. So I was probably six, maybe seven, but probably six. Coming to New York? Oh, yes. I love New York. And I came to New York and there was all this theater. I mean, the thing about going to school in New York is that usually most colleges, I think, and certainly our nursing school and um, other educational facilities get free seats for a lot of things. So I got introduced right away to Broadway. My, my um, oldest friend Ruth, who I, she we were in the same year of nursing school. She was only from New Jersey, from Fairlawn, New Jersey. She she introduced me to ballet. I mean, she was very sophisticated. And to me, she was very sophisticated. I was very unsophisticated, um and naive. And she introduced me to ballet. We'd go to theater, we go to concert. I mean, it was like Oh, my God, look at the world here. It was thrilling to me. And it's still part of what I love about New York.
2: So she knew early on that she wanted more, that she didn't want a narrow mindset. She wanted all the openness and all the opportunities that this world and maybe different world views can can deliver to you and to your mind. And New York was definitely a good place um, for that and is a good place with all its opportunities, with its openness, with its diversity, something that every New Yorker enjoys.
0: Yeah, and although... She loves New York as much as she does. She was always
1: looking to get away. When I was eighteen, and I went to nurse came to New York to go to nursing school um, at Mount Sinai Hospital, School of Nursing, which doesn't exist anymore. Um, right away in the first year, I met a a, a young woman. Her name was Ava. she was from California. At the end of the year, she decided she didn't want to stay in nursing school. She wanted to go home. Her boyfriend was flying to New York to drive her home, and she said, do you want to travel cross-country? And I said, yes. And I don't know. I don't know why I said yes, I don't, but I wanted to, and that started it. I just have always loved traveling. So... I don't know, I mean, maybe because i I don't want to be unkind to my parents or anyone else, but I felt like where I grew up was um a bit narrow minded a little um uh, just not open to the world and and I just always had this feeling that I wanted to know what other people did and how other people lived. I never wanted to live somewhere other than New York, although I feel like I could. And now, well, always, always, I've always loved traveling. And I, when I was younger and could, I took very long trips, like three months, seven months, trips traveling on Europe and stuff when I was younger and when it was much easier to do that and much cheaper. I mean, that was in the 60s. I went to Europe first for three months after I finished nursing school and took my exams. Then I left for three months. And then a year and a half later, I came back. I earned money. I went back for seven or eight months. But, and then since then... um, you know I've taken like a month here a month there, and now I travel a lot, but it's usually shorter trips than that but in any case i've I've always loved traveling i've always felt like I learned so much more traveling that you know you you see the way people live i mean I just don't go to western europe i've I've traveled sort of all over the place and um I feel like when you see how other people live and what they don't have and how much we do have, it makes you appreciate life so much more and understand the world so much better. That's part of the reason it's so upsetting to see what's happening here because it feels like we're so narrow-minded. People just don't get what it's like to live in... like I just came back from Africa. What it's like to live in countries where they have so little. Africa is the, wor- is the best lesson in the world. Afri- well, East Africa, I've traveled some in East Africa and Southern Africa, and some a little in Western Africa. But East Africa and Southern Africa, the people are so warm and friendly and lovely and loving, and they have so little most of them. I mean, it's such a wonderful lesson in how, how, how to love, how living a good life and giving to other people and being kind um, and being happy has absolutely nothing to do with money. These people are so poor, some of them. And they have so little and they are so kind and generous and giving. And I, so I love Africa because to me it's, it's the way the world should be um, and isn't. I really feel like I, whatever I've learned, I've learned because I've opened myself up to seeing how, what other people have and don't have and learning to appreciate what I do have. Yeah, her passion to know
0: how other people feel and live For me, it seems it's a recurring theme in Nancy's life. And she's not only living that when she's traveling and she's meeting other people and she's open to whatever she sees and to all the influences then around her, but it also became the title
1: in some way to her work life. By the time I graduated high school, I I knew I was going to nursing school. What I wanted to do in my head was I loved history. And I think I probably would have liked to have been a history major, maybe gone into politics, but um, maybe not. I don't know. But I loved history. Um, But we were not, we just didn't have much money. And um, my cousins were, two girl cousins were going to nursing school and it seemed like a way to both get out of the house and to get educated. And I didn't, I think I didn't think I was smart enough to apply to college and get money for it. I mean, I, I really was so naive. I knew nothing about um how one goes about, you know, applying for scholarships or looking for money or do, I, and we, I, the Boston public school system was not particularly good on that. You did not meet with a guidance counselor, you know, who sort of helped you along or told you how to do it, or yes, you, you know, with your grades, yes, there were colleges that would accept you. I, I just knew from nothing, really. So, Nursing school seemed okay, so I went to nursing school. I mean, that wasn't my final degree, but it was a good start. And in the beginning, when you were a nurse in those days, you know, you you could get a job in a second. Um, and I, I only was interested in psychiatry. I only worked in psychiatry, and my whole career has been mental health. The first rotation of my second year with psychiatry. And I loved it. I loved it. I loved using your brain. I did not like doing physical nursing care. It just wasn't really for me. Anyway, so I, the first rotation was psychiatry and I loved it and that's what kept me going. And and that my first job was in psych. I only did psychiatry, it's what I always did. Or I went on to get other degrees and um, ultimately had a private psychoanalytic practice and that's, that's mainly what I did.
2: It was about that time, 50 years ago, when she started working, that was also the time for great social change in the society, and uh, she became also a part of that.
1: Yeah, feminism was sort of really um, on everyone's lips. We were all, you know, the 60s and 70s, women were, um, professional women anyway, were trying to be feminist, meaning. Um we were talking a lot of, about humanism and and uh, people being treated fairly, all people, and how women weren't treated fairly and and how to sort of have a consciousness about feminism And so when I started a private practice, a friend of mine and I decided to start a group um, and we called ourselves feminist therapists. I suppose in those days, I, you know, I haven't thought about this in so many years, but I mean, it, it was a way of alerting women who were looking for a therapist who they felt like they might be able to trust. I loved that job. I love, I'm, I'm a Yenta. Do you know what that worth? I am, I am, I love to know about everybody. I love to know, that's a Yiddish word by the way. It means, um, I, well, that, I, I like to know everything about everybody. I like to, I'm a, like a busybody, only a busybody has to then gossip. I didn't have to gossip. I just love to know every, like when I just asked about the baby, right? I love to know about what's happening for everybody. And that's probably part of the reason I like to travel too and see what other how other people live. I just love to know everything. I don't need to tell anybody, but I love to know it. So
2: you um, would be a good reporter too. <laughs> yes,
1: yes, and I I do like to. Yeah, I mean, if there was one complaint about me, uh, probably it's that from my friends. It's that I ask too many questions. I'm always asking questions. Mm-hmm. So I loved what I did until the last moment I did it.
2: Yeah, and even when we met her, it was pretty clear that she is totally a, te- a people's person. She's someone who's genuinely interested in your life story and who you are, where you're from, what you're doing. She was asking us questions about our lives, about how we ended up in New York. And uh, yeah, she's also certainly able to create that safe space for people to actually open up. So I can see that for sure. Because, of course, that's the human condition. Everybody loves recognition.
0: And she, over the years, found a way to combine that in her work. Of course, she found it, but also um, through her hobby, through her traveling. And she told us that she had a dream when she was a little girl, that she always wanted to go overseas and really help people who would need her help. And uh, so she told us the story of how she went abroad in her sixties.
1: When I was a little girl and when I was 13 or 14 years old, there was this guy named Dr. Tom Dooley who went to Laos and he helped people there as a doctor, and he was very famous here. And I so admired him. I wanted to be with him. I wanted to go where he went. And anyway, that was when I was 13 or 14 years old. He, he subsequently died, I believe, of cancer. And so, for, but for all those years in my head, I always thought someday I want to go and volunteer, So when I was 64, which seems like it's old, but (laughs) it really wasn't. So when I was 64, I said, okay, um, I have done all these things in my, you know, I have my private practice and I live in New York and blah, blah, blah. And um, I haven't done that yet and I'm healthy and I'm competent and I still have my head and I still remember most things. So I think it's time to go. So I researched where I could possibly go because I wanted to be paid. I didn't want to, most volunteer programs, you pay them to go for two weeks or a month or summer camp kind of thing. I wanted to really go, but I had to have a way of taking care of myself. Voluntary service overseas would only take people that had a profession, and they um, only sent you to countries where they could make use of your profession. Now, this, this was a disappointment because I really wanted to go somewhere in Africa. I love Africa. I really wanted to go there. But the only place they had a program was Sri Lanka. So I went to Sri Lanka for a year and a half. I made a year and a half commitment. Went to Sri Lanka, lived in a little rural. Area I was the only uh, Caucasian person living there, and um, very few people spoke English. The major language is singular, which I was a total failure at learning, but in any case that 's all an aside, so I did that for a year and a half, and so that was all mental health work i was I was there to help the people in a hospital there and in the rural areas to sort of modernize they were still literally their patients were still behind bars Um, it was a hundred year old british system and it had never been updated and anyway so i won't go off on that but um when i came home i had not made any plans about what i was going to do and at this point i was when I was 66 or just before my 66th birthday and I had you know, given up my private practice. I was renting my office, I was renting my apartment and I thought, okay, here I am, now what am I gonna do? And I don't know, life just sort of went from there. So I never worked again. I just started having a lot of fun and traveling more and volunteering a lot and I've just never gone back to work. But I don't say I'm retired. I don't like that word. I do say that I'm just not working right now. It sounds retiring. It sounds too passive to me, I guess. It's like old people retire. And I know it's silly, but somehow in my head, I have not retired because, number one, I could work if I wanted to. I've never given up my licenses. I have a license in psychoanalysis and I have a license in nursing. So I've never given those up. And, um, and I'm very busy.
0: Having an open door and still being open to whatever life throws into your way, I think that's a very encouraging um, thought and also something that we can learn from Nancy with that. And uh, she had certainly a lot of change in her life and some unusual things happens and she always turned around and followed some dreams she had when she was younger, as she was telling us just now. Um, But we were wondering, how did she cope with doubt
1: or fear? I'm sure when I was younger, I had fear. I I would have to have had fear. Um, Once I I made up my mind to go to Sri Lanka, for example, or to do that, that's what I was going to do. I mean, once I decided it, I I was doing it. it's funny because I think of myself at least when I was younger as being uh very neurotic and very negative a person um, with a lot of uh anxiety um, but i've changed over the years i mean i but i don't th- i can't remember ever being afraid to go off and travel or to go to another country. I've never been afraid to walk down the street somewhere. I've never been afraid to walk down the street in New York or or be on the subways. I mean, I'm always careful and I'm aware and I don't wear headphones um, when I should be aware. But um, I don't know. I, I can't. I do think I've changed. Um, I think a lot of things happened in my life. I, I know I, I'm definitely not fearful of doing the things that I do, but I am much more cheerful. I am much more happy now. As I've gotten older, I have become a much happier person. Um, and I think that's happened because I've had a lot of tragedy in my life. And... Um, You know, I lost both of my parents, I lost a sister, I lost my partner, um, all to death. And I um, had a morning where I woke up one day and had a little pain and ended up almost dying that day, having major surgery and, you know, (laughs) out of nothing. Those events said to me, you know, you could die in a second. You, you really only have this moment you're living in because, you know, they all died from various diseases uh, or whatever happened to them or accidents or whatever. They all just died and you almost died and you really don't know. So are you going to live your life being unhappy or depressed or anxious or worried about the next moment? Or are you going to live your life as happily as you can because there is no control in the future? You don't know from one minute to the next what's going to happen. So you can live it miserably, worried about the future, or you can live it. And that's the way I've lived for the last, I don't know how long, last few years at least.
2: Yeah, this living in the moment mindset became kind of her default setting. She even experienced um, and dug deeper into Buddhism, into meditation, and mindfulness, living in the now became a huge part of her life. And when she had a dream or an idea, as we already heard, um, she always followed through with it, or at least she tried to. Something that she wanted to accomplish, she just went after it, independently. But um, Within all of that, always with the open mind, also for other people. So other people has have always been very important for her.
1: Friends are very important to me. I mean, you know, I'm really mo- most of my adult life. I've been a single woman, um, so friends are sort of your mainstay. I mean, but one also has to be independent if they're alone because. You have yourself, and that's all. I mean, I can't say if no one's here. Hey, honey, would you go take the garbage out? Because there's no honey there to to do it. So, um, yeah, I mean, you have to learn to sort of take care of yourself. For me, I'm not. I'm not a, a loner. I'm fine with being alone, but I I like people. I love people. I like being with people. As I said, I love hearing. People have to say, so friends are very, very important to me and my, and my family. Mm-hmm. I definitely wanted to be with someone. As a matter of fact, I can remember being like 21 years old and saying to myself, if I'm not married, by the time I'm 27 years old, I think I'm going to commit suicide. It was like my sisters were married. Everyone was married. That's what you did. And yes, I definitely, but I just, I don't know. I've never been able to figure this out. I have never really been able to figure it out. I am just not a person that people are terribly attracted to. I just, well, in the 60s and 70s, I mean, we were all having a lot of sex. So it wasn't the sex, but it was, um, I don't know. I I honestly have never figured out what it was. I was 34. 34 when I met a man who became my husband. We were married for a total of a year and a half. We were together for a total of two and a half years, married for a year and a half of that, then divorced. And then no one else until I met uh, my partner Marilyn, who um, I was 45 years old. She and I had become friends. I guess I, I, I don't mind saying this. I mean, I've always been a person who I never cared about what other people did, and I never thought there was anything wrong in anyone loving anyone they loved. So I just sort of, I mean, I wanted to meet a man because that's what you did, and I was certainly attracted to men. It wasn't that I wasn't or am still not. I am still attracted to men. But I also found some women very attractive, and I was much more comfortable around women. I grew up in a family of four girls and my mother. My father was the only male around, so I was very used to females. But um, I don't know. I fell in love with this woman, Marilyn, who was my friend. Um, She had been married for 21 years. She had four children. All, most of them, three of the four of them were adults. One of them was in high school when I met Marilyn. We just were friends, literally, for five years. Really good friends. And um, I don't know, one day I, and she was definitely interested in me, and I was definitely not interested in her, and I was still interested in meeting men. And then one day, I said oh my god I don't want to live my life without her and that was it and then we had 12 years together and then one day she said I just came from having this test and I have ovarian cancer and then we went through a year of that and then she sort of got better but She wasn't the same and then in the next two years, one year, one year, we got the diagnosis of her having dementia, frontotemporal dementia and then it was a decline from there and then it still took another ten years for her to die. So it was 22 years of my life. But um, she had these four kids. Those four kids had eight children altogether. Those eight children are my grandchildren. Mm-hmm. I am grandma. There is no question, they are mine. And so I was left this wonderful gift by Marilyn. So I have no children and eight grandchildren.
0: <laughs> yeah, as she said and mentioned earlier, She was caring for Marilyn all through these years when um, Marilyn got dementia. And I think that's probably one of the hardest things one has to go through.
1: You you sort of do what you have to do. It was not easy. It was actually horrible um, because I didn't know what was wrong with Marilyn. And uh, I mean, the cancer I understood. And then we got through that and then... She didn't seem normal or she seemed weird. And then I thought she was, I thought it was psychiatric. I didn't know what was wrong. And then we fought and then I was gonna move out. I mean, it was horrible. I didn't cope with it well initially because I didn't know what it was. It became easier once we got a diagnosis. Um, But other people, I don't know, you sort of, you just do your best. If you love someone, you just you just do your best. I think someone else could have done a lot better than I did. It was very, very, very difficult and um, horrible to watch. Terrible to see someone decline like that. Terrible to not be able to talk to a person who's sitting there looking at you, who looks like themselves. Um... He doesn't know what's going on. I mean, it's really, it's a horrible thing to go through. Um, dementia, is a, it's a terrible, terrible disease. It's just an awful, awful disease.
2: Nancy is and has been a loyal lover, a loyal person, who always, someone who always went the last mile and still does. She has been a feminist, she is a feminist, she has been an explorer, she is an explorer and she has an open mindset towards everything and everybody.
0: Yeah, and her strong opinions and values that she never hesitated to fight for and... Um still seem to play an important role today because she's still fighting for them today.
1: And I went through the 60s, you know, it was Vietnam, it was the women's movement, it was um, Martin Luther King being killed and um, things that we cared about passionately and marched for and so forth. And it's almost like people haven't seen, haven't experienced Look, what what is it like if you don't have the option, if you're uh, you're raped and you don't have the option of having an abortion? Mm -hmm. People haven't seen what life was like when we didn't have these things. But I have to say, I am very discouraged. I feel like all the work we did of the 60s and 70s, I always assumed that life marched forward, that meaning that, we made progress from the 50s to the 60s. Women became more liberalized, became more free, became more able to, um, I mean, women could always take care of themselves, but they somehow had more of the freedom to make that obvious in the world in the 60s and 70s. And it feels like we have gone back so far now in this country. We have gone back to the fifties or even before. There's so much hate. There's so much prejudice. There's there's it's there it's so conservative. It's so unloving. It's so unkind. It's so mean. It is so not the world I want to be living in. It it's I don't know how this happened. I, 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 It's like this can't be. And it's not just our country. It's happening all over the place. I mean, how Hitler could have happened and this be happening now, how people cannot see how a country gets taken over, whether it's here, whether it's Germany, or whether it's France, or where, wherever it is, something has gone terribly, terribly wrong, and I find it very, very, very discouraging. It's like greed has taken over. You know, whether it's greed to hold on to your, your powerful position or it's greed for money or it's greed to hold on to being a white person in America who's better than it or a Christian in America. I mean, this isn't what America's about. People came here to get away from all that shit. So, oh, you guys are very lucky. I usually swear a lot. I haven't (laughs) said fuck once in this interview. Um, Anyway, I hope that people are waking up, especially younger people. I hope they're they're getting it, that these things don't just come and haven't always been there. I, I think that... It's important to not lose sight that your life is still happening while all of this is going on, no matter what is happening in the world and what may happen, which we don't know, um, to at least be as much present and loving and happy in your own life as you as you can be. Otherwise, you know, you just stay in bed. You have to sort of... And I think that's... A, a, part of the reason I'm now, I'm traveling a lot and I'm volunteering at only places that make me very, very happy that I love to be at. And and I only do what I love to do because you have to have the resilience within yourself to deal with what is happening in our world and what, you know, what could happen to the future and all of our kids and grandkids and great-grandkids and all of that. You have to keep up your strength, in other words, in order to deal with all the horrible stuff.
0: It certainly has become harder over the last month um, to be hopeful and to be optimistic about what is going to happen in the world. And uh, that's certainly something that I feel and that I have to uh, admit as well as Nancy did just now. And... um, but I also think that hope now is our only chance because if we are not optimistic, no one will change anything. Because if we already have given up everything, then certainly there's no action needed because you can just lay in your bed and be dreadful about what's going to happen. So
2: Exactly. The political climate should not stop us from being hopeful Uh, if not now, when then, never counts as much as it does right now. That's why we have the podcast, why we talk to other people, why we talk to older people with more experience about their wisdom, about what they would change, how they go through these times. And we also wanted to know from Nancy, with all that wisdom, with that life experience that she has, what would
1: she tell her younger self? I would try to get happier faster. I would tell myself, all these things that you are anxious about and that you worry about and that you get depressed about, you can't do anything about those things. You, you, that's all you can do is be the best person you can be and live in the moment. That's really all you can do. So just figure out what feels right for you and do it.
0: Well, and that's how we want to leave you in this old year and uh, maybe even let you start the new year. Calm down, be restful and peaceful and have some nice days to yourself and reflect on what was important to you. And um, yeah, listen to maybe other episodes of our podcast if you haven't done it so far. And uh, we are really happy that you have been with us this uh, first year. Of Ladies First wise Women Talking.
2: Exactly. To many more years coming. And uh, thanks so much for being our listeners. You can reach us if you're interested in giving us feedback on that podcast via our Gmail account. That is ladiesfirstpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter now, you can find us on Instagram, you can find us on Facebook and you can certainly find us on all the podcast apps and if you have a chance, maybe you write a review on iTunes and subscribe and you know what you have to do. Tell all your friends about this podcast.
0: Exactly. My name is Feli.
2: My name is Miriam. (laughs) Have a good start into the new
1: year.